Welcome to Stay Gold, an Outsiders podcast. I am Sam Mulberry, joined as always by... Esme Mulberry. And today we are diving again into the 2005 release of The Outsiders, the complete novel, a film by Francis Ford Coppola, his reworking of his 1983 film, The Outsiders. And we are doing it five minutes at a time. Today we are looking at the 25th minute to minute 30. That is our five-minute chunk uh, for today. Esme, before we jump into the five minutes for this episode, can you tell us about last episode on previously on Stay Gold? Okay. In the last five minutes, we started with Ponyboy, Johnny, Cherry, and Marsha at the movies. They were talking. Eventually, 2-Bit shows up and brings some much-needed energy. Um, then Ponyboy and Cherry go off to the concession stand. They talk about greasers and socias. Cherry says the line things are rough all over. And then they are walking home from the movies. Um, supposedly from the book context, they're going to two bits so we can drive the girls home. And then Bob and Randy show up and are very angry. They show up in a sweet blue Mustang. They do. It is a, it is a pretty cool car. It is a cool car. Um, so, so at the very end of our last, uh, of our last five minutes, Cherry said, I'm never going to go out with you again while you're drinking. Um, so this starts, um, with Randy saying, uh, that's no reason to go walking the streets with these bums referring to, uh, to the greasers. And we see Bob take another drink from his flask. There's a lot of Bob like flask drinking in like the background of scenes. I think it's because he didn't know what to do. I think it's fitting. It's fitting, but it's also, we're probably going to talk about this later, but there's some awkward stand in the background for a lot of the characters. So it's kind of something to do. He seems the most natural. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into Bob in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at the word bums, we see two bit kind of jump in and jump into action. Um, Randy threatens that he has two more. There's two more of them in the back seat, And then there is maybe the great line of this movie, this yeah. whole movie. Um, cause, because, and this is a credit to Emilio Estevez. He manages to make, make this line land. So Randy threatens that there's two more in the backseat. Two bit breaks a bottle, hands it to pony, pulls out a switchblade and puts it up to Randy's neck and says, pity the backseat. Okay, this is like one of my favorite moments of the movie, and I don't know why, because he, he looks like so cool doing it. I think part of what it is, it is like, this has been sort of a lazy walk, very talky thing, mm-hmm. and you see him snap into action. Yeah. Which is both ex- visually exciting because it, it's a change of pace and tempo from what we've seen, um, but it also shows you potentially how coiled some of these um, characters are, and particularly the greasers are, mm-hmm. where they have to be ready at a moment's notice to be like, okay, we were just living our lives, but I guess this is a fight and they need to be ready to go. It's also interesting, there's a line change here, because in the book he says there are four more guys in the backseat, and I find it a little interesting that they changed it, because it sounds so much more threatening of, like, there are four more guys, you're definitely outnumbered. Well, and we've seen this car before, and there were four guys, four more guys in it. Wasn't wasn't there, wasn't there six th- people when they were beating up Ponyboy, or was there only four? This is a different group of people. Oh, was it? It's, yeah, this is a different group of people. So Randy and Bob weren't part of that? Mm-mm. Oh, I need to go back and watch. I thought they were. I don't think so, no. Okay, so this is just there. These are unrelated incidents that didn't happen the same day. I know it's a, this, 
Oh, it is the same day. No. Yeah, because it's, it's they the go next to the day. Oh, you're right. It's the next day. You're right. This is the next day. Yeah. Um, I'm just confused because of the way these cuts go. You're right. This is the next day. Yeah. Um, I do kind of want to go back because I thought it was, I thought that at least, at least one of them was there. I know that at least in the book, it's not the same guys. I'm pretty sure it's not the same actors in the movie. I could be wrong. Okay. But I'm pretty sure it's not. All right, we are showing we are showing our weakness here in that I I'm, yeah we recorded that episode a while ago so yeah I, it was a while I'm ago. not I'm not remembering exactly but at any rate mm-hmm. I do think though looking at that car um if I saw that car and somebody said we have four more in the back seat I would be like is this a clown car because <laughs> I mean as yeah. as like cool as a Mustang is I'm not sure you can go four wide in the back seat. And there are two more people about to get in is yes, the thing, too. Yes, yes, That's yes. what's funny in the um, book because it's like, wait, there's going to be eight people in this car? Yeah, although I think it's probably a little easier to do, like, the women on laps than it is to do, like, how the guys are piled in there. Yeah. Presumably four across in the back seat. Yeah, and it's also, like... This must have, not just because they're drunk, been kind of like a weird date of like, and there's four of their friends in the backseat. I think they went and picked them up after the movie. Maybe. Yeah. It's, yeah. Probably. Uh, because, because when we saw that, when we saw this car before at the movies, I don't think, I don't remember there yeah, being Yeah, there wasn't anyone in the backseat. backseat. Yes, yeah. they must have gotten people later. But it's also, I'm interested to see later when they come to the park. If there's six of them or oh, if, if there's they, four. Yeah, because the, the, we'll see if they all pile out of one car or not. I don't remember. They do because it's like, at least in the book, it's one car because it's like the one car following oh, them. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, But I will be interested to see how many people get out of the car. Okay, let's let's watch let's, for yeah, that. Yeah, let's, let's look watch for some that. continuity. And when we get to that part, we will go back and report on the opening scene. Yes. How many people, what vehicle, and was there anybody it's we knew It's definitely there? a different car. It's not a blue car in that scene. Okay. So if Bob and Randy are in that group, they are not the drivers. Okay. I feel like Randy was in that group, but maybe he's not. I don't not. think he was. I would be more open to saying Bob was than Randy. Okay. Okay. We'll, um, we'll, we'll, we, we will we will get into this. We're talking about this little part a lot, but I have one more thing I have to say unrelated to what we were just talking about but it's the, the going back to line pity the back seat i was thinking about this when i was doing notes and i realized with lots of characters in the outsiders i have certain lines that when i think of the character i think of an exact line mm-hmm. and for the movie tubit's character that's the line i think of him but in the book it's the line he says before that which is it's when randy calls them bums he says who you calling bums those are the two lines i associate with him and i have others for other characters when we get to them interesting it's another character is also in this 5 minutes okay okay yeah. we'll, we'll we'll get into that but it's also the book line version so them. it is it is fun to see to see uh, tubit um jump into action here um and uh as as he's saying this, we see Johnny look down at Bob's hands, and he sees the rings on Bob's hands. Now, they don't say anything about this, but because we just heard about the rings in the last five minutes, we're supposed to have held that in our memory, mm-hmm. um, and we see that. So then we're now realizing that that Johnny has this realization of like, okay, this is yeah. this is this is the guy who beat me up. And I think that's it's a really smart way that they shot it because in the book, I think it just says like. Oh, yeah, like, 
Bob was wearing rings mm-hmm. and you're then like get the significance. But I think they did it in a really smart way of like you do the shot of Johnny's face, then the shot of his hand. And I think they might go back to Johnny's face. Yeah. I so, think they do that in a really good way. So the shouting kind of continues. It escalates until Cherry diffuses the situation by agreeing to go with Bob. And Cherry says, I hate fights. I hate them. Uh, and we see Bob kind of smugly looking at Tubit. I think he takes another pull off his flask at this point mm-hmm. because he realizes without there having been a fight, he's won. He got the thing he wanted. Yeah. Um, which is thematic of a lot of things in this in this uh, world, right? That mm-hmm. the the socials just always get what they want, even if the even if the greasers are willing to fight for it, the socials are just going to they're going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, so before she goes, though, she pulls Pony aside and um, and Pony says, you know, like, don't worry, I wasn't get- – he's holding the, the broken bottle and he says, you know, I wasn't going to use it. I've never cut anyone. Uh, and Cher- Okay, so I think you want to talk about this conversation, right? I do want to talk about this conversation. I want to compare both to the book and just how it looks in the movie. So so let me go through what they say, and yeah, then we can talk through, about the block. Because yeah. this is really about blocking, almost, like where There's people There's also are a little bit of, like, it, it changes a little bit from the book, and it makes less sense in the movie, some of the things that are mm-hmm. said. So Cherry says, uh, in school, if I don't say hi, please don't take it personal. Now, did you think of anything when you when you heard that line? Because I had a very distinct thing that came to mind here, and it's from a movie you've seen, but maybe not seen as many times as I have. definitely not seen. As many I times. don't think I know what you're talking about. So it makes me think of in the Breakfast Club, which is a Brat Pack movie from. Oh my gosh! Usually, yeah. they have this whole conversation of because these are people from different worlds coming together, and they have this whole conversation of. If we see you in the hall on Monday, are we going to say hi? Are we going to acknowledge that we know each other? I will say this, though. When I watched The Breakfast Club, I was thinking about that and The Outsiders. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I we, we can like, credit Essie Hinton with laying some track for the, for the Breakfast Club. I feel like at one point that connected in my mind between those things. Like when I first watched the long version of the movie, I think I like, oh, I think I noticed that. But I did not think about it that much clearly because... Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting to think about because that is like the same. Yeah, that is the same thing. Well, and that's one of those that that's one of the themes that runs across those two movies is this idea of like these people from different worlds. Maybe they're not always all that different. Mm-hmm. Um, so Pony Boy says that's okay, and Cherry Cherry says, um, and to me this is a very awkward. This is a very awkward. Oh, this uh, is the worst thing to say, and uh, and and I don't I don't look at this as a problem with Diane Lane. I think she does the best she yeah. can with what she's given. Uh, but she says, I hope I never see Dallas Winston again. If I do, I'll probably fall in love with him. And it's real, like, it's a weird thing to say. It's a weird way to say it. Want to know the bad part, too? That line plays off better than if she act probably actually said the line from the book. So what is the book line? The book line is, I could fall in love with Dallas Winston. I hope I never see him again or I will. Which I like the line better, but I feel like it would play off weirder. I actually think you could, if you added some feel to that line, I think that actually is yeah. a better line and it could be delivered better. I will say this is the other line that I associate with the character. It's both, for Cherry, it's both that and the things are rough all over. Those mm-hmm. are the two lines that I associate with her. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's one of those things that I feel like, uh, 
And I felt this way in the book too. So this is not even this is not a Coppola thing. This is maybe a Hinton thing. Is we're told that there is this attraction on some level be- from Cherry to Dally. Mm-hmm. And I think it's supposed to mirror the fact that like Pony and Johnny have this attraction to the charisma of Dally. Mm-hmm. But nothing in the text, and this is both the book and the movie, show me that. Yes. I'm attracted to Dally. Like I think he's got I think we talked about this. Matt Dillon has won two fives already because he has a kind of charisma that's undeniable. But I don't feel like Cherry has that, but the movie's telling us that she does. And that's always a problem for me in a movie or in a book where it's like, this is the show don't tell. Don't tell me somebody ha- mm-hmm. has this feeling if you're not also showing it to me. And I don't know that I see it. It's also such a weird line, too, because what she says before of like the, if I won't say hi to you if I see you, is kind of implying this might be the last time we ever like actually talk to each other. And that's the last thing I'm going to choose to say to you. She could have walked away. Yeah. And just left it alone. Yeah. But she doesn't. But okay, so so let's think about the intent of this line. Because Hinton writes a version of it. Coppola has a version of it. And I, I mean, I think the intent is to say like, I know <laughs> essentially to Pony, like, I know I said all these bad things about Dally. And I know you love Dally. And she's sort of saying like, I get that too. I mean, I kind of, I am drawn to him too, Mm -hmm. but it just plays very weird. I will say in the book, they explain a little bit more like Pony Boys, like maybe the reason she likes Dally and likes Bob is because they are these different people who stand out, but that comes a lot later. So this line still feels weird. Yeah. Yeah. It also like, to a certain extent in the book, to a certain extent in the movie, they kind of show like, hey, Ponyboy seems to like kind of like Jerry. Like in the book especially, it talks a lot about how he finds her like very attractive. And then it's a weird thing of like they're almost like shipping them together and then she says this. Well, okay. I actually think I'm going to play that as a positive, which is I think this story's worse if there is this implication that yeah. like there is a burgeoning romance between Cherry and Pony. I like the fact that they're like, not nah, like he's too young. Like it's just, it's not mm-hmm. that. And by her saying this, it's like she is firmly establishing, I do have potential attraction to this world, but it's, it's, it's not through you. It's through, it's through mm-hmm. this somewhat mythical figure of Dally Winston. My problem with it more isn't that it's like they're not going to make them a couple. It's that. Ponyboy isn't in any way slightly hurt by it. He kind of just hmm. doesn't think about that much. And it's like... Well, he's maybe hearing it the way we hear it, which is maybe. that's a weird thing to yeah. say. He's just so thrown off by that sentence. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a couple other things that are different from the book in this scene. Um, for one thing, it just played off so weird to me in the movie that Cherry pulls Ponyboy over he says the like I can never cut some with this. Then she starts walking away, and then says it's like, wait, why did you pull him over? But in the book, he's the one who pulls her over and says that, so it just makes more sense. And then the other oh, thing, that does make and, and yeah, like they they could have done that. They could they have could had have. her. They could have had him kind of like, um, maybe like like tap her on the shoulder to imply he wants her, and then she could say, yes. "Give me a minute," and then they walk over. So there is this sense mm-hmm. that he initiates it. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is the other mention of sunsets in this conversation where right after she says the like, um, 
if I don't, like, I won't say hi to you if I see you. She says, um, just remember some other people watch the sunset too. And then she walks Greatest away. line in the book to me. I know. It's a great line in the book. And it's like, they took away all this stuff that's so good. Arguably for me. And they're these me, short lines. Arguably for me, this podcast shouldn't be called Stay Gold. It should be something about sunsets like like that. Like, like whatever she says there. Because to me, my takeaway is not the Stay Gold part. Uh, my takeaway is the su- the sunset yes. thing. It, like it just hits me in the gut. Like that's such a that is again. I think that is part of the thesis statement of this, and mm-hmm. and the, in that it's such a good line, and they don't do it. Is it's such a good interesting. Line. It's 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 a choice. There's so much like good imagery and like metaphors with sunsets and the sunrise, and they take it out. And that and the other time they mention sunsets are these short lines mm-hmm. and it's not and like they're adding like a two-minute conversation it's you just yeah. have to say a sentence and interestingly those sunset things apply exactly to the stay gold idea yeah because that's the idea is like that the, the sunset is this this temporary thing i just yeah it, it, it hurts me a little that it's not as foregrounded as it is in the mm-hmm. book now i wonder with coppola if he thought that that made some of those ideas too obvious too early. That's all I can Maybe. think of because they're yeah. It's it's such good lines, but it doesn't feel that way in the book. Mm-mm. I don't know. It's it's just really interesting. I to feel me. like a part of it too that I think it's also important is also it establishes so much of who Pony Boy is that he is kind of like this dreamer person. Mm-hmm. And it like there's then the line in the last five minutes where Cherry's like, "You didn't tell me about your oldest brother," and she says like, "Is he dreamy like you?" And that makes it sound like she likes him, but it's not. It's because they talk about the sunset. Because he's a dreamer. Yeah, yeah, he's a dreamer. So, yeah. like, if you take out that stuff, that line plays it, really different. It absolutely. It plays absolutely. really different. Oh. All right. So, so after this, wait, moment, we need to talk about the way people are. Oh standing yeah, blocking, here. blocking, we blocking. We need to talk about okay, clear, how we're this gonna is cl- set up. We're gonna clear out for you to talk about blocking. Okay. So, this scene's. The car's like in the background. Bob is sitting on kind of the hood of the car, mm-hmm. but like on the side. This is why I think he's like keeps on drinking from the flask because he needs something to mm-hmm. do. Plus it plus it implies that he's still drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And probably driving. No, because because Randy's driving. But he was also drinking. I don't know. I feel yeah, like Bob I'm not at sa- some point. I'm not saying Randy's innocent. Driving. I feel like he at some point was driving. Point is. <laughs> and then Tubit is just kind of standing there. He's sometimes looking at Bob, sometimes looking at Cherry and Ponyboy. I think Randy and Marsha at this point in the car because you don't see him. I see the like three people in the background or they're being blocked. And then you have Johnny who is standing not really facing Ponyboy and Cherry, kind of facing nothing with his back to Bob, but also, like, kind of looking over his shoulder at him, mm-hmm. but, like, halfway. And then you have, in front of you, is, like, this awkward conversation. And it's so weird because the background thing is so distracting. Yeah. Because they're just standing there. And then it's also the point that, like, they're having this conversation and all the other people should be able to hear them. It's but not a make, quiet conversation. It is not a quiet conversation. They make no, like, kind of indication that they hear it at all and like the thing too that always bothered me it's even bothered me in the book is like she is saying this to pony boy 
who seems like he kind of likes her, and then her boyfriend standing right there, who is drunk, and she just says she could fall in love with this guy she just met. Yeah. That's weird. And presumably Bob knows who Dally Winston is, too. Everybody yeah. knows who Dally Winston is. And it's is. like... <sighs> yeah. There's so many things. But I will say, I feel like the awkwardness of this scene is not the actor's fault. Because in the book, it is the thing of, like, you are paying attention to their conversation. Unless you're really thinking about the other characters, you don't care about what they're doing. And then all of a sudden you realize, yeah, what are they doing? Yeah. It, it this the visually this is the like multi-character version of what do I do with my hands like I have yes. these other things that it's like okay well now I I want to I want to stand up for the Johnny blocking mm-hmm. because I actually really like John I think Johnny is one of the best parts of this five minutes even though especially this part because he doesn't say much he has to do a lot of nonverbal stuff and Johnny's blocking is set up to show him as somebody who both. Wants to know what's happening, but also wants to be invisible. He mm-hmm. is afraid. He It's not that he's afraid he's going to recognize uh, Bob because he's already recognized him. It's that Bob's going to recognize him. And he's trying to hold it together because Ponyboy has told us, like, at least in the book, right, whenever this comes up, this is what makes him weep. So it's like he is, he is trying to – his – the the monster that haunts him is standing there. Yeah. You know, so like like he should be moving away more. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, yeah, but so I actually think, I think Machio's great yeah. in these scenes. I think this is yet another example of they did the best that they were given. They did the best w- with what they were given because it's like it is yeah, it is a big like what do I do right now? But like Character-wise, it's believable. It just looks weird. And there's very few things they could do to make it not weird. Mm -hmm. The only thing I could think they could have done with Ralph Macchio is had him stand closer to Emilio Estevez. Which would make sense. Yeah, it would make sense. Because it's both then like he's standing by someone who he feels safe with. And I think in the book they're like standing right next to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also... There wouldn't be, like, this huge gap in between them. Because that's another weird part of how they're standing. They make this big triangle, the three mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Bob, Johnny, and Tubit. And then there's just this weird conversation on the side. Yeah, he should be getting out of the headlights and getting as close to Tubit as he can. That, yeah. that would make sense. Um, so we see uh, she and Marsha get into the blue Mustang. Um, and here we get one of the first really great needle drops that's not in the theatrical release mm-hmm. which is uh, a really haunting rendition of the song Blue Moon by Elvis it's it is creepy because it's yeah. so it's like quiet and when I was watching this while doing my notes I knew the song was there but I had I had I thought I had the volume turned up a lot, but clearly it was not, and I couldn't really hear it. But I was like, I thought there was a song here, and then all of a sudden you hear a little bit of it, mm-hmm. and then you don't hear it's it. It's almost for a like while. it fades out and comes back because yeah. this recording—it's an alternate recording um, of Elvis doing this song—and it is it, it is such a quiet version of the song that you almost miss it, and then it keeps coming back. And mm-hmm. even non-lyrical vocal things that Elvis is doing—it's kind of great yeah it's, and it's like he didn't do this in the theatrical release but it's like this is yeah this is one of the things that makes 
the complete novel is how and great this is. And if you have is. it loud enough, if you have the subtitles on, you can then see what it is, and it's so cool. And I am not an Elvis fan per se, but like this is pretty great. Yeah, this is really great. And and I don't remember if we talked about this, so I guess I should say it now. Is like. In the book, The Outsiders, when it, they talk about music, one of the divides between the Socias and the Greasers is the Socias are like guys who like the Beatles and the, mm-hmm. the, the Greasers like people like Elvis. Yeah. So it's like, so there's a lot of Elvis that in this movie. That is actually on the first page of the chapter that this is in. Oh, interesting. Chapter three starts with him walking home and he was like, yeah, I was talking to Cherry more and, and I realized like more differences. And then he said like, but a big difference. And then he started talking about the music stuff and he's like, that's, and but then I think he says something like, but other than that, we're basically the same. Yeah. So it is kind of like, I like, that was one thing that got me super excited when the songs started playing. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're actually putting the Elvis in it. Mm-hmm. And I was really happy about that. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's the first of many songs we're going to hear as we go through this movie that aren't in the theatrical release. Mm-hmm. So uh, they drive off uh, and we see Johnny again looking kind of terrified. Machio looks a lot like... Um, well, he looks a lot like he does in Karate Kid, which is which comes out the next year. Yeah. Like, there's a lot. There's scenes where I'm like, that just looks like an exact shot from the movie Karate Kid <laughs> yeah. of like, of of Daniel looking kind of terrified at something. Yeah, so, there are moments. Yeah, he plays bullied really well yeah, <laughs> at this does. point in his life. He's he. I think he actually does a really good job with Johnny of looking terrified because yeah. like you do really feel it. Um, I'd also like to just talk about. Not going back to just the weird blocking, but kind of all of this. I'd again like to say, when you're watching the normal version, this is really early in the movie. So you've seen the creepy Tim Shepard showing up, and you've seen this, and this does not make you like this movie. Yeah. So this movie... Once you get to this point, you don't like it. Yeah. If yeah. you're watching the yep. other version, because it's it feels really like weird. It's, it feels like they're rifling through pages yeah. of the book where and they skip at this a point we're almost at the part. 30 minute mark, so it's like yeah they've laid a lot of track already yeah. for this. Um, so then we cut to a scene of Pony Johnny and Two Bit, and they're walking to Johnny's house. We see Two Bit chew up a piece of paper and spit it out on the ground, and he says it's Marsha's number. And probably a phony one, too. I don't know why I bothered to ask for it. So there is this sense of, like, what I like about this is, to your point, it implies there was more between 2-Bit and Marsha that we don't see. Yeah. But 2-Bit's like, come on. Like, that. Like mm-hmm. she was just joking around, but at the end of the day, she's not really going to talk to me. Yeah. And, and and what's interesting is, like, we don't know. Like, I, we actually don't know. There are things about Marsha that make her seem a little... Um, maybe less sympathetic than cherry mm-hmm. but maybe we're misreading that and maybe she's actually is like yeah i would have gone out with two bit if he called mm-hmm. you know so so it's interesting we just don't she's just kind of a mystery to yeah. us yeah in my mind i just in my head i always imagine that the what she did was completely honest she wasn't like joking around with him it was not a fake number that is what it is in my head and it was always that i never interpreted as she gave him a wrong number or Mm -hmm. anything like that um so it always actually made me a little upset in the book he rips up the number maybe said he ripped it up because maybe you're just maybe you're just a nicer person than marcia maybe that is the kind of thing marcia would do we don't we don't know i don't know she seems like a nice person to me we have so little to go on we do we do so little to go on but like she just i don't know 
she seems like a good person to me yeah and but i do say i will say like um i do like the visual of two bit eating the number and yep. then spitting it out yep. yeah it's good it's, it's good. really Esta- funny estevez is good yeah in this um so then they get to outside of johnny's house and the strangest thing happens yes so uh inexplicably a hat like a, a, yes. a, a hat that has like a brim all the way around it. Not a cowboy hat exactly. It's I, hard to tell. It's like, like a, a flat brim It's like hat. a dark hat and it's yeah. at night. There's not a lot of lighting. I actually think it is a cowboy hat, but it could be But wrong. it doesn't like, it's not like curved up at all. It's yeah, like, it's I don't know. flat. Every it's, time I've watched it, I've thought it was a cowboy hat, but I guess I never got a good look at it. It might not be. So it, it's like blows across in front of them and... Two bit picks it up and says, "Hey, look! I got a new hat." Um, and all I can think of is they probably had a wind machine up to create some breeze for this scene or something, or it was actually windy enough, and that that was a prop that accidentally blew across, and that's an ad lib because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it does. It speaks okay. to like the goofiness of Two Bit, which we talked about before, mm-hmm. that he's bringing a lot of like just sort of silly fun energy. But, like, why would you intentionally put that in your... It's very okay, strange. This is what I thought. I thought this was an accidental thing. He just was like, I should maybe pick this up and it would be funny. But then when I was watching it, I looked at where the hat was. And it seems like when they cut to when he sees it, when he picks it up, it's in a different spot. So I was like, maybe he did it once. They were like, hey, that's funny. And then told him to do it again or something. Yeah. Because, it, yeah, it does seem like w- who was like, let's have him do this. It feels like an, impro- like an improv. I would be open to the idea that it was an improv once, then then told him to do it again. Yeah. Because it seems like the hat jumps to a spot farther back, closer to the house, farther back in the yard okay. in the next shot. Interesting. That is my guess. Yeah, yeah. And, but it, it, it like it works with two bits energy. So like I have no problem with it. Yeah, I, I like that. But it's that. it's it's definitely a strange, strange little moment. Um but it, it, it seems in line with him sitting down and saying, Who are these your two great grandmothers? It's like he's like a goofy guy, like who's not exactly funny, but he's trying really hard to be funny. Yeah, that's like one thing with the outsiders that like I feel weird about because it always it talks a lot about Chuba's character. He's like these, this like super funny guy, and my conclusion is just like Essie Hinton must just not be that funny. Because be. all of the dialogue is like, I can see what she's going for, but it's not yeah. that funny. Or he's funny the way the funniest person in a group of like teenagers, who isn't that funny, but he's he's the funny one. You know, like, because you could get five people together and be like, one of these is the funniest of these five, but it doesn't mean that that person's funny. It just means they're, maybe they're willing to, like, put themselves out there a little bit more. Maybe. And it's also, like, she does it with other characters, too. There's some parts of Soda Pop that are like that, too. Yeah. Um, that's just kind of what I've come to think is maybe it's just that, but... I don't know. So he puts the hat on, and then you can hear from inside and sort of see from the windows inside that there are two people fighting in the house. This is in Johnny's house. Aggressively fighting. Yes, yes. Um, Two-bit leaves to get, quote, rip-roaring drunk. (laughs) That's a line from the book. Uh, And we see Johnny walk up to the house. He walks up to the door, and then he walks back back to Pony and says, I hate when my folks fight. Let's go to the lot. Okay, 
this does not happen in the book. They do not go to Johnny's house. And it's actually, I almost like how it's in the book better because Tuba asks him, like, oh, you guys going to go home yet? And Ponyboy says, not yet. And it's like Ponyboy's the one who's like, let's go to the lot. So here's so, what I wonder. Here's what I wonder. I had said before this idea of like, show, don't tell. Like, don't tell me something, show me it. Mm-hmm. This might be an example of an attempt to do that. So it's like instead of in the concession stand having Pony talk about Johnny and his parents, yeah, we're going to do this and we're just going to show it. Mm-hmm. Now, it may have actually been better the other way. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's I think I think that's kind of what I'm guessing it is is like let's actually like have the audience see it and put it together. Yeah, the reason I like Ponyboy saying they should go to the lot more is just because then what happens after I can say it was Ponyboy's fault because I don't like the thought that you that Ponyboy didn't want to be there he wanted to go home and you could in theory blame it on Johnny like I don't like that because it's in the book it is definitely a hundred percent his fault yeah I don't know I'm thinking I'm ambivalent at at that I can see that but I think yeah I think Johnny sleeps in the lot all the time no, but yeah, but that's what I'm saying is, like, the way Johnny says, like, let's go to the lot is, like, a I am asking you to come oh, with me. Oh, I see me. that. I see and that, And then yeah. it's, like, Pony Boy sitting there seems cold. Like, he doesn't really 100% want to be there. But isn't there something effective even in that of, like, it's, it isn't his fault and he still kind of gets, and as we'll see as we move forward in this movie, that he mm-hmm. kind of gets reprimanded or in trouble for doing something where it's, like, it wasn't my idea. I, I didn't want to leave Johnny alone out there. Like, Well, I feel like the point with him falling asleep and then Derry's really mad at him is, again, the, like, you don't think thing. So then it's like, if Derry says that to him, it's not like, no, he's being wrongly accused. It's like, no, he actually did something stupid. Well, just because your friend says, let's go to the lot, doesn't mean you need to stay there and sleep overnight there. Yeah, without well, communicating as a parent i would say i'm just I would saying say, i would say if you want pony to be viewed as like complicit in this he totally is either way i know I get, I get where you're going though yeah all right so we see uh we see pony and johnny sitting around a campfire and and they're uh they're talking now what's interesting is there's clearly a longer version of this scene because the first piece of dialogue in this scene, Johnny says, it's because we're greasers. They might have, it might have hurt her reputation or something. That's all. He is clearly responding to no, something. This is what's in the book. That's how the conversations are to the book too. Is he, he starts with, it's because we're greasers. But is, po- but do we, do, this, do we get any like internal Mm-mm. pony stuff? Nope. I mean, not him saying it, but like. Because we don't, it would be one thing if it's weird. I feel like we should see Pony. Now it works because we all kind of know what Pony's thinking. But I thought this line lands awkwardly or starts awkwardly because it's like you're responding to something, but you haven't quite set up. So we have to like backwards figure, okay, here's what Pony is either saying or clearly emoting that Johnny's relating to. From Does it play better in the book? It plays kind of the same, but I think a little less weird because you do get a little bit of the internal monologue, but it is kind of like he's just saying, like, it. it's supposed to play off not as a conversation, but that he's thinking out loud. 
Really? Because he's definitely yes. saying it to Pony Boy. In the book, he just says that as the start of a conversation. And I'm pretty sh- how I have interpreted it in the book is he has been thinking about this. He is now just voicing this, knowing that Pony Boy will know what he's talking about because he knows that Pony Boy is also thinking about that. Sure. Because there's also and that's evident. That's evident. Yeah, there's also a part in the book where Pony Boy talks about how the reason they're really good friends is because they neither of them talk that much and they can understand each other without talking. So that is like the example of it. Where he can just say what he's thinking like it's the middle of a conversation. Sure. Oh, that's cool. I like yeah. that then. And, it, and, 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 and we, we cut from there to a scene, uh, which I really like, of them kind of sitting next to each other, lying next to each other. There's the firelight and they're sort of silently just looking up at the stars. They're not, mm-hmm. at, for a while, they're not talking at all, which is like a, also like a friendship thing. Like It's like they yeah. don't need to... They know each other so well. They don't need to talk about anything, um, and it's just this nice, uh, this nice moment. Um, so they're sitting side by side, and, and then Johnny starts to muse. And again, um, he, it's like it's as if the conversation was going on without them talking. He just talks about how tough the Sosha's car was, and like mm-hmm. how how, how that like how much he likes the Mustang that they were driving. That's also. Right from the book is that part. Yeah, too. and even the pronunciation of tough, the tough, way he says yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Because in the uh, book, she makes this point of like, there's a difference between tough and tough. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you hear Machio really hitting like, okay, I gotta and make I sure. And I love say that, that they like keep in the like, we're gonna use both ways of this word. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then, uh, Pony Boy gets up and goes over to the fire, and we see Johnny start crying, and he says. I can't take much more of this. I'll kill myself or something. Uh, and Pony sits down to try to comfort him. And again, they stare up at the stars. And Johnny says, it seems like there's got to be some place without greasers and socias. There must be some place with just plain ordinary people. And Pony explains to him that that's what it's like out in the country. Okay. This might just be my opinion. But when we watched it in school, it seemed to be the opinion of lots of other people in the room that Ralph Macchio's crying is not very believable and yeah. is one of the roughest acting moments of this movie. Yeah, I think it's tough. I think this is a, yeah. this is a tough scene. And I'm you're, not, you're asking a you know. I'm not a saying he's a bad actor. Yeah. I get that. It just is like the you have the kind of roughest moments in the movie follow each other and if you're watching the shortest movie the shorter version that's the beginning of the movie yeah so this if the other stuff didn't make people feel like this is not a good movie it was this moment well and and and, and to to Machio's credit or is like he is he does have an acting partner in this scene in C Thomas Howell mm-hmm. but as we've just established they're not talking to each other. They're yeah. talking to the unspoken things between each other. So he's kind of acting off of both of their thoughts, not about acting off of mm-hmm. what they're saying, which again makes that really tough because how do you sell I'm do I'm saying things that are almost coming out of the blue, even though like they both know what it's in reference to. And even as a viewer, it's like, yeah, you get what they're what he's yeah. but it seemed but it it sort of bursts out of nowhere. In a weird way, it plays very strange. And I think that yeah. that makes it difficult, but it also hurts the way that this reads. 
Mm-hmm. And, like, again, I'm not saying Ralph Bacci's a bad actor. I'm not saying he did a bad job. It is a really hard scene. I'm just saying it is not his finest moment in this yes, movie. Absolutely. I would say it is his worst moment, but he has so many really good moments yep. in this movie. It's The problem is that's kind of the one you remember because it's his first bigger moment if you watch mm-hmm. the shorter version. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and this, we are not talking about this movie because it's a perfect movie and this is yeah. a, this is an imperfect one. Now one thing I need to say before we talk about what happens next is throughout everything we've been talking about that Elvis song is still playing. Yes. Like so when they're sitting quietly staring up at the stars this is where you realize this Elvis song has not gone away and hearing yes. Elvis sing Blue Moon and they're staring up at the sky, night sky it's like it works on so many different levels yeah. really well done it's also like really eerie and creepy and it's also super cool because you'll like you totally forget it's there and then in these moments of silence yeah. you hear it and it makes me wonder with coppola like there's two things going on with the music at one level like i wonder i don't know if it's like a music rights thing although i think in the early 80s music rights were not a huge deal i think mm-hmm. you could get music pretty cheaply but the other part is, do you know who wrote the score for this movie? This one? The original Outsiders, yes. The original yeah. Outsiders? Yeah. Like the first one? Yes, the 1983 Outsiders. Wasn't it like his father? Yes, it's Carmine yeah. Coppola. So I think part of this was his father wrote this score. And this is, I think he's even talked about this. And he sort of felt like I kind of can't, even if it's not, doesn't fit exactly. I kind of can't yeah. not use it because 2005 is post the death of Carmine Coppola. And I think he feels a little easier saying, what if I take my dad's score out and I put in these other things? Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm excited to do, maybe when this project is done, and maybe we can even do an episode on this is to go back and just watch the whole 1983 cut. Yeah. Cause I want to, once I really familiarize myself with this, I want to go back and watch that and see how do these some of these things land with the other score land with yeah. some of the edits um, i um i recently watched the trailer for both the movies and in the one from the 80s it has one of this like kind of big orchestral songs and it feels really weird mm-hmm. and like what is this yeah it has this it's honestly kind. It's super funny. Like yep, it, you should watch that trailer. I we laughed when we watched. Yes. When we watched the eighty three one originally. We were like, "This is this is kind of goofy." This is stupid, and it's yeah. like because it feels so much like I can't take this seriously because it's so weird. It feels like a joke. Yep. Yep. And then the other trailer, and it feels kind of like, overwrought. Yeah. yeah the yeah. other trailer is like it has one of these songs like from this time period. I think it's a song that's in the movie, and it like. It's really good. It has, it's it's like a good trailer and it yeah. makes me actually excited to watch the movie and the other one just makes me laugh really hard. So what we're saying is Carmine Coppola will not have won the five here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so as they're ta- as Pony talks about how it is like that, you know, out in the country where there's no greasers and socials, just plain ordinary people, Pony starts to fall asleep. They both start to fall asleep. Uh, and we cut to... Uh, as as he starts to fall asleep, we cut to a scene, uh, which is Pony Boy's dream, and we get another Elvis song. So we yep. get Elvis's "Tomorrow Is a Long Time." Um, and in the dream, we see this like idealized silhouette of a man and a woman getting out of a car 
in the country against a golden sunset. So we have mm-hmm. this sun- sunset, right? It's beautiful. This is such a beautifully shot thing. And you only see them in silhouette against this golden sky, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and they're, they're, they seem to be like pulling a picnic basket out of the trunk. There's a dog by There's them. a dog with them. And then suddenly and abruptly, we cut to a... a I'm trying to think how to describe this. Uh, it's an image of a car, the same car, being struck by a train in broad daylight, also seemingly in the country, in slow motion as the uh, as the camera kind of moves counterclockwise, like the camera's yeah. kind of turning, like not rotating, but or n- not not like pivoting in a pan, but like like moving towards a Dutch angle, like it's yeah. it's it's turning. Um, as we see this slow motion of this train plowing into this car, which is strange in a number of ways. Um, for one thing, it doesn't appear, you know, we see the car parked and they're doing this picnic. And then like, why is this car on the railroad tracks later on? Yeah. So my only guess is they're trying to put in more imagery and symbolism with like the idea of a train. Mm -hmm. And they put that in a lot more, which like, it's not really in it that much in the book, honestly. There's not as much stuff with trains. Um, but a thing that... This is really a scene that really lost this movie for me when I was watching it for the first time. Not the longer version. but Because it bothered me that they never say their parents' death involved a train. And it annoyed me that they put it in. And then like now that I'm thinking about it, it's because they're trying to make the symbolism of something that doesn't, doesn't really exist in the book. And then they got rid of the symbolism of the sunset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's going to be trains in this in this movie, but like, the train is not a deeply. I don't think it's a deeply significant thing. Like they, we'll see them take the train out to the country. Yeah, hop a train, but it's not like the train is the only way to the country because there are cars and there, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's like, it, well, yeah. It does also make like so much more interesting backstory because then it's like. Also, for one thing, I want to bring up that, like, there is the dog with them, and there's a point where he, in when time of the country, saying, like, and we'd have, because he's imagining, like, what their life would be in the country, he said, like, we'd have a dog like we used to. Mm-hmm. So, it's interesting in a way that they're creating this, where it's, like, the reason he has this attachment to the country is his parents and their family dog went out there and never came back. And that's a weird, disturbing thing well, to me. Well, let's also think about this, though. So he's picturing it, but clearly he's not there. So he never saw this. Yeah. So if there's a weird discontinuity, it's because he, these aren't memories. Mm-hmm. These are images he's created based on explanations he's heard. It would make me, but I would have reason to believe then that his parents' death involved a train. Uh, no, absolutely least, yes. it did. Absolutely. It had to have. In, but it but it may not have been what we it probably isn't what we saw there. It does look like a country though scene where the car. Yeah, is. I no, I believe they went out. In the, I'm just saying, like, like I don't know that we should read realism into this. But I'm saying what we see from the train thing is that his parents were in a car in the country and the train hit them. Supposedly, off that may, of that. that, yeah, that may or and may not I'm, be the case. Yeah, yeah, that may or may not be the case. But I'm just saying, from what I just saw, that seems to be what they're hinting at. Sure, is that this is how they died? Yeah, yeah, and that seems 
really dark. <laughs> well, it is dark. It is dead. Yeah. I mean, if they had shown a car accident, what at any rate? Yeah. yeah. In my head, this is not how they meet their end. I think you're right. There is a there is this like wanting to like insert the train because even in the opening images of this movie during the credits when they're showing kind of the pictures of the town, right? Mm-hmm. You, it's always around train tracks, things like that. So and I it, think yeah, and then he's there, like walking train, on the train tracks at the yeah. beginning, and it's it's also interesting too to me because it's like okay. They're tr- clearly trying to create some kind of symbolism with the train, but I don't get what that symbolism is. Like, what? Yeah. And maybe we should think about it? that as we continue yeah, to watch wanna, trains in this movie. I want to try to think about it more and try to figure it out, but it's like the sunset was so, like, perfect. Yeah. yeah. And it upsets me that they replaced it with the train thing that doesn't make sense. Well, and the sunset doesn't entirely go away because stay gold centers around the sunset. It's not about a golden train at any point. Yeah. So, um, so... We cut from this to Johnny waking up Pony Boy. We hear a train whistle in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and Johnny tell, tells Pony that he should get home. Clearly, they, he didn't mean to sleep out here, but he's fallen asleep. And Johnny says he's going to stay in the park for the night because who will care anyway? Mm. Yeah. So, so it's, sad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've talked a lot about the book, but let's slip into Esme's book corner. Um, anything else you want to say about comparing this part to the book? Mm. Well, we kind of hit on all the big things. Um, I think, again, a lot of the... It's not that it's not accurate to the book. It's that it's almost too accurate to the point where it feels awkward like it does in the book. Mm-hmm. So, I'd actually, so they could have cleaned some of that awkwardness. Yeah, up. I'm saying in this moment, go ahead and change it because if it feels weird, like try to maybe switch some things around so it feels a little less weird. Sure, sure. Um, so I'd probably give this like an eight or something. Cause like, it is very true. They don't go to Johnny's house, but I get the, why they do it mm-hmm. because it is like the, we're going to show you. And it is honestly kind of a powerful thing of like, look how just yeah, I think that violent and aggressive yeah. his parents are. Yeah. Um, Cause it makes you, if you're, especially if you're a child watching this, you're like, I don't want to go in that house. I don't yeah, even want the like, camera to go in that house. I don't, I don't want, want that. Yeah. So I'd give it like, yeah, an eight, like a pretty high score because- a lot of lines are just like in the book. Pretty much everything happens the same, except for going to Johnny's house and the hat thing. And then it feels awkward like yeah. it does in yeah. the book. So eight out of ten for fidelity to the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. But maybe fidelity is not always what we're yeah. going for here. Maybe we want more adaptation. Could have made it a little better. Should we do a quick deep dive? Yeah. Um, this is one of the like less triumphant deep dives that we're going to have here. Um, so today's deep dive is about the person who plays Bob, uh, Bob Sheldon, because he's not going to be in this movie very long. So I thought we should we should uh, um, we should get him. His name is Leif Garrett. Uh, he's born November eighth, nineteen sixty one, in Hollywood, California. So he's not somebody coming from New York, as seemingly everybody else we talked about uh, was. Um, Garrett was in the entertainment industry from a very early age. In 1969, at the age of eight, he had a role in the film Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, which was nominated for four Academy Awards. So, like, that's a pretty big deal movie to be in as a, a as a young actor. Um, he appeared in 11 movies throughout the 1970s, including three installments of the Walking Tall movie series. He also had reoccurring and guest roles uh, in 13 television shows across the 1970s. So uh, compared to a lot of the other young actors we talked about, he's far more established. He's been in a lot more stuff. 
Um, now, Garrett also has uh, an interesting backstory in that in 1976, he signed a recording contract with Atlantic Records and put out five albums, one each year from 1977 to 1981. He had 10 singles chart in the top 100, uh, with his biggest hit being 1978's I Was Made for Dancing, which peaked at 10 on the U.S. chart. So he had wow. a somewhat successful music career, somewhat successful child actor. Um, you know, was sort of he was he was definitely a famous person in the late 1970s. Um, his music career had sort of turned sour by the time we get to 1983 with The Outsider. So he returns to acting for this uh, relatively small role as Bob Sheldon. I think he's really good in this movie, actually. Yeah. And again, part of it is this sort of smug looks that he has, you know, when he realizes that Cherry's going to come with him and he kind of looks over at uh, Tubit and is, you know, takes a pull off the flask. I actually think he's I think he's good. I think his his yeah. energy is really good he in this movie. He does a good job. Um, so he, so uh, he continues to have film roles off and on since the 1980s, but his career and life have been hampered by substance abuse and legal troubles. So not a great – I mean, the peak of his career is probably the late 1970s when he's still in movies, TV, uh, but also has a, a you know somewhat thriving music career, uh, kind of disco-era music career. Um, in the late 2000s, early 2010s, um, he kind of reappears in the public public consciousness uh, on a variety of celebrity-based reality shows. So he's not somebody whose career is launched by The Outsiders. I think The Outsiders is maybe an attempt to kind of revive a career, mm. um, even though he's, you know, basically uh, 21 years old when this movie comes out. So he's... He's younger than Ralph Macchio when it came out. Right, right. But he's had he's had a long career up, yeah. up until that point. So um, one of the sadder deep dives that we've had in terms mm-hmm. of like uh, a lot of these are going to be triumphant, you know, movie stars coming out of this movie. Leif Garrett is not, uh, not necessarily one of them, but is oddly maybe one of the more famous people in the movie uh, in 1983. Yeah. You know, kind of a name that people would know. Uh, should we give out some an award here? Yeah. All right. So who won the five? Uh, I have actually kind of a long list of nominees here. I'm just going to throw things out. Um, basically, these are most of the people we saw in this. We have Diane, Diane Lane as Cherry Valance. I feel like this this one is less dominated by a specific person. Yeah. Uh, Emilio Estevez is Two Bit Matthews, right? You have a line you love from him. We have that coiled I, snap into action I have scene. Two lines I love. Two from lines. Him. Uh, we have Ralph Macchio as Johnny Cade, who has some great nonverbal acting, but also maybe some low point acting. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing uh, Macchio is not going to win this. C. Thomas Howell as Pony Boy Curtis. He's just going to be nominated every time because he's kind of at the center of the movie. I think he's going to win some awards. I don't think this is particularly a, yeah. a Pony Boy high point. Uh, we have Leif Garrett as Bob Sheldon, who I actually think, like, okay, there's a shot. He's in very little of this, but, like, mm-hmm. he's one of the better people, and he doesn't have awkward bad moments. Because even in the awkward blocking, he's the one who's doing something that makes sense. Yes. Um and we have Darren Dalton, who plays Randy Anderson, who is basically pretty forgettable here. Yeah. Um, this is hard because it's I'm going like... to throw one other one out there to save you because mm-hmm. you feel like there's not a winner here, right? Yeah. Uh, so here's my here's my dark horse. You may know who this is already, but we could give this award to Elvis Aaron Presley because I think he actually is the winner of this five. I think the Blue yeah. Moon is great. It's great. <laughs> and then he has another song in this yeah. five, too. It's hard because... Um... It's like the first half, the kind of characters who more are 
not central, but kind of like you notice more are like the Soshas. Mm-hmm. And then they leave and then it turns into the other people. So if I pick anyone from each of those groups, I'm then like, wait, but then there's that other half. Yeah. So it's But hard. I feel like the other half's not great. You know, I think when you get to to Pony Boy and and Johnny, like this is not this is not their showcase moments. Yeah, right? that's the problem. Estevez is barely in it, but he's got a great moment. He's got great moments. I think I think Leaf Garrett's barely in it, but he's really good. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like it would be weird to say he won the five, but he was done by like minute two. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, I actually think the way because it wouldn't be Elvis for me, except. The way that that music, you start to hear it again more as they're sitting by the campfire. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, maybe this is the best part. Yeah. That's my vote. You can, you can overrule yeah, honestly, me on that. Yeah, honestly, I think I kind of agree with you because it's a weird thing to like if this five minutes was like almost split up in a different five minutes. Like it was like the first half was in the previous five, the second half is in the one, the next one. Then I would feel differently about it. But since it's all together, it's just like the people I think did best aren't in all of it yeah yeah and then the people who are in all of it had some rough moments did we just give an award to the king of rock and roll i think so all right well uh uh, elvis presley you can you you're no longer with us but if you want to come up and and uh and take your award uh you're in a baz lerman movie or not in the baz lerman movie this summer but baz lerman made a movie about you this summer but we're also going to give you an award you won the five i'll be curious to see how often music is going to win the five because i think it is the salvation of this movie and to a certain degree this may not be the only award elvis is, wins i'm just gonna say is that. this the second one we've given to a music one i don't think so i think wasn't this is the, the first, first one. one no the first one we gave to the casting director oh yeah we talked yeah. about but we didn't yeah okay. yeah okay yeah. uh we might come back to stevie wonder and carmine <laughs> coppola at the end but uh but, yeah. but, but right now this is the first music one it's not the first music nomination though because we did nominate van morrison uh, with Gloria um, earlier, but yeah. but this is the first music win. I think there will probably be others, and I'm saying that I don't have a needle drop in mind where I'm like, oh yeah, this was. Mm-hmm. But I just know there's a lot more music here. Yeah, there's there's some good music moments. All right, Esme, thank you so much for diving into this. We have now made it to the half hour mark of the movie. We have about an hour and a half left. Um, so we're about a quarter of the way through the movie and the plot is about to explode pretty quickly. There's a lot that's going to happen. I would say the next 10 minutes probably has a lot that's going to happen. I'm curious yeah. where we're going to be at the 40 minute mark. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you have questions, if you're enjoying this ride, if you think we are wrong in our takes here, you can let us know channel 3900 at gmail.com. That's all the time that we have, but we will be back next week. But until then stay gold. Stay gold.